Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 230, Friday, February the 25th. 2022 mark it's another day another podcast another week and well what else another another day (laughs) in the veterinary industry another i was trying to think about what to chat about about for this week's chit chat mark and it's been busy at work um some very interesting cases um some fun cases um all the usual stuff, so I can't complain, Mark. I cannot complain. What about yourself? Well, if you, it would be the first time you ever complained if you did, Brendan. You're such a positive guy generally. But I wanted to tell you about um, where, uh, my um, my son's uh, um, dog. While we were away, while Kate and I were away travelling, uh, Wilson and Claudia um, were mining the house and they, they phoned us up and said, oh, we think we're going to get a dog. And... And uh, we thought that was a great idea. Um, so they um, uh, they found a, a dog that needed a home. When we don't use the word rescue, the dog wasn't rescued. It was a dog that just needed a home. Um, and so they got Scout. And Scout is a, just a she's a you know crossbred. Um, uh, maybe has a little bit of Kelpie in her. Um, but yes. she's, um, she's a beautiful dog. And um, and I've got to make an admission here, Brendan. I'll make a little, two admissions. The first one is that Wilson was probably lucky that Kate and I were away because obviously we would have taken over and uh, done all the rearing and training and, and uh, all the things that uh, a um, newly acquired dog needs. Yes. Um, and the second one is that I don't think that would have been a good thing because Wilson and Claude have done such a great job with Scout that um, we would have absolutely stuffed it up if we had been <laughs> here. They, she's a beautiful, well-behaved dog. And so how old is she? What eight, is her, her background from this non-rescue dog? <laughs> she's eight months old and um, uh, she went through an organisation that, uh, that placed... Oh, I've just got this... Um, I don't know what, what you think, Brendan, but um, I have a, an aversion to um, every time uh, someone comes in with a rescue dog, it's almost like they want me to pat them on the back for, um, you know, saving that dog's life. And and I don't know how many times our aged cats have come in and people have said to me, oh, we won't do that thyroid test because it's just a rescue. So I've developed a bit of a, you know, probably inappropriate aversion to the word. I don't like mm. it being used. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, you're, it's a new relationship and you're not rescuing another animal. You're just um, entering into the relationship. If anything, they're rescuing you as much as anything else. My two girls are rescued, Mark. You should pat <laughs> me on the back. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that when we catch up next week, but um, yes, um, excellent. So I'm glad that so that so little Scout has not ripped out, ripped out the cat, ripped up the couches, and no, um, chewed like the that. floorboards, and no, no holes. Um, she has more um, uh, more buckets of toys to keep her occupied than geez, 
the kids had when they were growing up. Yes. Um, and uh, and the local pet store uh, is um, is raking in the big ones as as uh, um, as each each new v- version of. Um, and Kate got uh, Scout has a bit of an attraction to fluffy toys um, rather than the Kongs and whatnot. And yes. um, she really loves having a gentle chew on those. Kate got her a rainbow unicorn. Um, so, so she has a full spectrum of toys, and uh, no, she's wonderful. And I'm very proud of the fact that they have uh, taken her care so seriously, and and she's turned out such a beautiful dog as a consequence. Excellent, well done. Despite our help or non-help as veterinarians, <laughs> Mark, um, people can sometimes. Get and often wrong. do get it right. Yes. Yeah. Now we need to um, do a little shout out to our sponsors. And before I do that, Mark, uh, just a quick rundown on for our new listeners: vetgurus at gmail.com. If you want to drop us a line, we're always very happy, more than happy, to um, say hello and 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 chat online to our listeners and and listen to what they're up to. So please say hello or visit our website, vetgurus. Com and look through our previous episodes and we do th- thank very much our three main sponsors and I think you wanted to do a shout out to one of them this week, Mark. I did indeed. Our, our um, three main sponsors are Microchips Australia and uh, and um, uh, sm- is it Small Animal Nutrition? Specialised um, Animal specialized Nutrition. Animal. I always get the S, the, uh, S wrong. Um, and it was Jen's birthday recently, so happy birthday to Jen! And yes. um, and uh, um, but today, um, uh, Chemical Essentials, the Australian distributor F10, we're going to have a bit of a shout out for them. I'm, I'm often um, uh, talking to people about the uh, F10SC product um, uh, that uh, super uh, concentrate antiseptic that uh, is um, safe to use uh, around um, people and animals. Um, uh, it's ecologically friendly, biodegradable, um, and if used, at, I just think everyone should make sure they use it at the appropriate dilutions for the purpose. But um, when that's done, um, it's a wonderful antiseptic to around, have around the veterinary hospital. But I was going to just shout out today to say, while that's probably the, the most common um, uh, use for chemical essential products that we use. Um, there is a wide range of, um, of first of all, uh, antiseptics and sanitizers in different forms, um, but also a number of other products that uh, um, that uh, chemical essentials distribute. So I encourage everyone to um, uh, get on to chemicalessentials.com.au and, and have a bit of a look around and see what uh, um, cleaning antiseptic products uh, might be applicable to their situation um, and go there with our recommendation because uh, we use them all the time in the hospitals that we work in. Yes, good stuff. And I see they've updated their website again recently, Mark. Um, I've just flicked over it to it now. And yes, you're correct. We certainly use bucket loads of the F10 concentrate there. It's, he needs to bring out a version that has a whitening, tooth whitening in it, Mark, because I swill have a bit of a swell of it last thing at night to clean my throat and keep those nasties away. I, I mix it with a bit of ivermectin, and uh, so far I haven't got COVID, so it's doing well. No, F10, fantastic stuff, and, yeah, thank you very much for helping support us and help pay for our production costs. 
Mark, you have a news story to jump into, and it's a, it's a bit of a quirky one, this one. It is a, a quirky one. It's a, um, from the Pet Industry News, um, and it's a smart snout. It's a new UK phone app um, that uh, will hopes to serve to reunite uh, owners with their lost animals, um, lost dogs in particular. Um, the app is free to download, um, but the idea is you take a bit of a photo of the unique print of your dog's um, planum nasale, its nose. Um, then you pay a uh, five pound annual subscription. Um, you register your dog's basic information um, and their, their um, schnout shot. Um, and once registered, um, if someone found a dog and used the app, which they've acquired free because they don't have a dog, um, they would uh, take a photo and the wonderful um, computing power that we carry around in our uh, pockets and hands would uh, scan the images and match them up uh, in order that um, the dog could be identified and reunited um, with its owner. Um, I'm sort of in two minds um, about this, Brendan. You know I'm always up for a new bit of technology. I'm keen to see... Um, the different ways that uh, technology can lead us forward. Um, and um, and certainly this, you know, anytime you're taking a photo and it's matching things up. Um, we've got, uh, 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 there's a whale, one of these for whales. So when we did our Antarctic trip, we would load the photos of the whales onto the web. Um, and uh, that- With their app, patterns and- Yeah, yep. can, uh, can recognise the whales and, and add to the data about their travel. Um, but I don't know, Brendan, these um, these uh, rehoming um, schemes, I just worry that if they become too diffuse and not everyone knows where to look to find a way home, I love the way that we've got uh, the system of microchips in Australia. Um, and, uh, and I know we've had many, many stories of repatriation of uh, lost animals as a result of the microchip. So um, so I don't know whether it'll take off. I don't know whether enough people yes. will Smart get on snout, board. Or, or whether we see an underground of, the, you know, dogs with noses chopped off that, you know, <laughs> people are trying to say, no, that wasn't your dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, smart snout i think they've missed out mark with this one I, I think we need to start one up and register it straight away uh, uh, smart snout's the wrong way to go we need to go the other end and we need to call it smart ass mark smart ass app. Um, so you get your dog to sit on some blotting paper and you get a print of its bum and it's called the smart ass app and there's a unique bum print for every animal i reckon um, I haven't confirmed it, but I reckon it's the way to go, Mark. And it's much harder to cut off the backside of your dog um, and say it wasn't yours, Mark. So it should be called Smart Ass, this app. I think you're on a winner there. I think you're on a winner. Yeah. Oh, it's a simple app, isn't it? Simple process, but, yeah, how how unique is it going to be? Is it is it like... They probably looked at um, Face ID, you know, on Apple iPhones or something, and decided, "Hey, let's let's take it from there." I reckon that that's what they've done um, for it. Interesting, Mark. But yes, I agree. Um, I'm sticking to the microchips <laughs> at the moment <laughs> um, for the for the ID. So my my one's an interesting one. It's an actual paper, Mark, that was published in the Vet Rec, or a short communication paper called the Do Little Factor, and it. 
identified, well, uh, the aim was to identify and analyse the frequency of how often vets and veterinary technicians um, talk to their animals, basically. Um, so pet directed speech, and they looked at 55 routine companion animal consultations in the UK and the United States, and it was quite a quirky little paper here. And they narrowed it down to different types of different types of um, pet-directed speech instances, Mark, and um, I'm sure you'd relate to some of these. And they, um, So calming um, voices, for example, you'd say to, oh, don't worry, you know, Fido, you know, we're about to chop your bits off, but don't worry, um, and chatting to the pets, um, explaining the procedure to the animal. I'll just take your pulse, you know, and, 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 and put a catheter in, um, so please hold still for me. Um, commanding the animal, um, so jump up on the table. Um, small talk with the animal, <laughs> saying, oh, you're so silly. Um, speaking for the pet, um, so the, the dog or the cat or the animal that's in the cage looking like it wants to go home, saying, please let me go home today. I know you want to go home. Um, praising the animal, which is an obvious one, and that's a very common one, like, you know, good girl, you're, you're very brave. And um, empathy. Um, oh, you had us all very scared, you know, when you stopped breathing during the anaesthetic. <laughs> you stupid dog. <laughs> so it's it's um, quite interesting, um, and and it sort of lumped them into all these different types of pet directed speech, and it's um, pretty basic paper, but a fun little paper there, Mark. Um, and it just shows you how common, and I think it, it, all of our listeners will be saying, yes, we talk to our animals in our clinic all the time, um, and it's you're not mad doing it. It's a common thing to do, and I, I think we do it more for our sake than their sake, um, to be honest, in my opinion, Mark. What do you think? Um, I, I do think that it it serves multiple purposes. I like this study quite a lot because I do think that, you know, I, I reflected once I had read this paper, I reflected on the times in consults where, you know, I would be explaining something to the client by um, by talking to the animal that, you know, I need to move your leg so that I can put the stethoscope in that location um, and, uh, and by talking as I perform a physical examination, I would demonstrate... To the client what I was doing. Um, I think tone of voice also plays a role more important than what you actually say that like you said you can calm animals down if your voice is calm and um, and uh, and so yeah I think um, I think there's uh, a, a, a lot of um, true benefits to the veterinary interaction but I agree with you I think the vast majority of it um, is just because I like animals and I want to interact with them and uh, um, and I often talk to them when no one else is there um, so yeah I, I, it's fascinating um, I'm not a big fan generally of anthropomorphism of treating uh, of attributing human characteristics to animals um, and I think this verges on that sort of area and so um, I'm, I'm cautious about it, but I think as long as we're not expecting them to understand us and we dwell on the good things and understand why we're doing it, I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem. I hope not. I don't yes. think I could stop doing it. Yes, interesting study, and I think that they perhaps I mean to plan further studies there. Um, and they commented in a discussion that it did not assess whether the veterinary surgeon intended this speech to communicate to the animal or <laughs> whether the animal comprehended it on any level at all. Um, 
but we'll keep st- still doing it, won't we, Mark? Regardless, I'm sure. Um, so, and we will link to like we do every week to any of the um, news items that we talk about at um, vetgurus.com. So let's jump into our main topic. It's a subsection, a subtopic of a previous topic, which is um, routine desexins uh, or desexin of unusual pets, Mark. And I thought we could just do a little quick summary of the intra-abdominal castration method for the small mammals and in particular, well, for me, it's the ones that we commonly do and that's the, the rodents, or the rats and occasionally mice um, and guinea pigs, so mainly the rats and the guinea pigs mark the intra-abdominal approach. So I think it's a good one to do um, and perhaps explain why that's taken over of the technique that i use now instead of the non-intra-abdominal castration of them um yeah well so- I, I i um for many years uh, just performed scrotal or pre-scrotal incisions um and uh, and it's only been um uh, relatively recently i think you did a presentation on it which was the trigger for me to change over um so what what um what 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 triggered you to to um, begin doing it this way? Was there a paper or...? There, well, people were starting to do it and I think, what, thought, why are they doing that? And um, their comments were to try and stop the infrequent or perhaps rare um, occurrence of um, scrotal abscesses and complications from the, the other techniques um, and... I must admit that since I've been doing the intra-abdominal castration of these animals, um, I have not had any of those where we would get, I don't know, one or two every six months or something like that. Um, and uh, especially with the guinea pigs um, because they're such messy little guys, aren't they, um, running around and they might get post-operative infections from that pre-scrotal. Um, so it's a clean tech. It's simple. It's actually quite... Um, quick as well um, once you get the technique down pat mark but but I think before I talk about the actual method or the technique there um, if we just summarize again the reasons why we like or want to desex these these small little um, rodents and the guinea pigs mark and the the obvious ones there that people would think about are the you know the prevention of the the breeding um, and the behavioral issues and it's not not rare for some of these some of these boys to get to that maturity um, age and then they start to get a little bit of a lad um, and they start to fight with their cage mates that pr- previously they were getting on well with. So so behaviour, um, breeding. We also think that, that probably um, desex in these animals um, may increase their lifespan. Um, but there's certain diseases, isn't there, Mark, that we, which is one of the other really main reasons why we recommend desex in these animals that we dramatically decrease the chance of those occurring do you want to chat about those well the the um, main one that uh, that triggers me are the particularly the neoplasms the cancers that we see um, in uh, rats um, mammary tumors um, particularly we, I think we're seeing an increase in the number of pituitary neoplasms um, and the complex signs associated with those um, so we definitely in desexed animals see a lower incidence of those diseases um, and I think you're right I think the 
consequence of that is that uh, we get an increase in their their lifespan and quality of life. Yes, and there's definitely papers out there um, proving that surgically desexing these animals um, does decrease the chance of getting those mammary tumours and um, those pituitary neoplasms, which are those prolactin secreting um, um, tumours as well. So, yeah, that's why we like to do it um, with them. So the actual method markets, um, yeah, the, the first, I don't know, dozen or times I, I did the technique it, it it was like everything it takes you a while to get that sort of muscle memory and get the get the technique down packed but it's actually a very simple procedure and, and very quick and my basic it's always a bit of a challenge to describe it in <laughs> audio format isn't it um, um and i do have a series of um videos and also um slideshows that i um present this procedure with um to to, to students and vets um is a obviously having the animal a, a ventral midline incision just caudal to the umbilicus, umbilicus and a, a, probably about half a centimetre um, in distance, right in the midline there, a gentle dissection um, down um, through any fat, subcutaneous fat, if it's present, depending on the age and, and that individual animal, identifying that little linear alba, um, picking that up with a pair of forceps and making a little stab incision there and opening it up into that abdominal cavity. And then it's as simple as using a small spay hook, is what I tend to use, Mark, and um, hooking that um, testicle um, and exteriorizing it um, and guinea pigs it always amazes me with guinea pigs and this and how big those testes are and that that fat that's associated um, with that testicle um, how much comes out there they certainly go home with a bit of weight loss don't they once you <laughs> desex de those guinea pigs um, exteriorizing um, the bits um, identifying uh, the the pedicle um, and clamping off and i tend to just do two Liger clips, Mark, those titanium clips, so the hemoclips or Liger clips, um, you can use normal, non-absorbable, uh, um, I'm sorry, absorbable suture, um, and I put one over the um, the vessels and the other one over the um, other side, which is the the um, the, the, um, the vas, I think, um, yep. um, and let them retract into the ab- abdomen, um, and that's it. And the beauty of it is it's just those two little to do um, clamps on each side. Um, I exteriorize the second testicle um, and away it goes. Um, the bits back into the abdomen. Um, the closure I use is two or three um, simple interrupted sutures in the linear alba um, and then an intradermal suture um, and plus or minus a little bit of um, tissue glue and that's it uh, and obviously um, pain relief um, as well but it's a very neat um, um, looking in um, surgery, surgery um, post-op um, and it's pretty quick Mark it's you know five or ten minutes max um, for the surgery well in my experience anyway um, and um, I'm 
I'm loving them. I'm, I really enjoy doing them <laughs> um, in in the rats and the guinea pigs, Mark. Um, whereas previously, yeah, it was one high scrotal or, or pre-scrotal incision um, and exteriorising the testicles there and um, a little bit messy and we did get the occasional um, post-operative abscess um, with them. Um, so, yeah, so it's certainly taken over. Um, it, it's my standard technique for for castrating these animals. It's um, it is interesting uh, that you know I've I, I find it very analogous to you know desexing a female of um of one of these species that you're making the small incision, but it's even easier because you're not trying to get as much tissue out through that incision. And when I first started doing it. Um, I was worried about the different orientation that the, um, you know, you're drawing the um, uh, testicle out through that incision and I was worried that, uh, you know, I'd become all confused about which cord goes where and what to clamp. But it's not, it's not that difficult. Um, and when you do these scrotally or pre-scrotally more commonly, um, geez, they it's surprising, particularly in the guinea pigs, how often they um, they do slip into that fat and then intra abdominally, and then you're awkwardly fishing around trying to tip the surgical table up and create intra abdominal pressure that'll pop the uh, the um, the testicle back out to you. So I I agree with you. I find um, this speeds the process. It makes it more orderly, and definitely there seems to be something about that uh, more umbilical wound more uh, cranial wound um that worries them less they definitely is less attention to the wound yes um and um and like you said the the fact that it's not um dangling down on the ground in the uh in the substrate amongst the uh, urine and feces does seem to lessen the incidence of reactions um and yeah i think it's um all round an advancement i thank you for introducing me to it and I thank whoever I saw online or wherever that was um, doing them. Um, but yes, we've we've gone over to that for at least twelve months or so now, um, and it's been very. I find them quite zen-like these surgeries. I, I I really enjoy doing them. I don't know. Uh, it's probably me just being me being weird, but um, I find it a very relaxing surgery. Uh, Brendan, wait, tell tell me where you got your um. Your micro, because uh, I know many of the, my understanding is that at university now, um, spay hooks are sort of frowned upon a little bit as uh, um, as surgical instruments that um, that uh, I think that most of the recent graduates are taught to visualise what's going on in there and, and not depend on blind hooking. Um, but I find um, spay hooks to be immensely useful. But where do you get the little tiny ones? I have no idea, but we have one that's, I think it's originally it was labelled as a cat spay hook, but it is um, very much, you know, half the size, if not a third the size of that sort of standard one you'd use for dogs. Yeah. Um, and I think the trick with these, if you're not using the spay hook, um, the, especially with the, well, actually the, the guinea pigs or the rats, there's so much fat, isn't there, around that testy um that you can virtually visualize it once you've popped that little incision um into the abdominal cavity and and you can virtually see that sort of yellow yellow fat there and you you 
grab hold of that with some atraumatic um, forceps and, and you can just haul everything out um, by doing that. And you'll know if you're in the right spot because you can see that testicle um, twitching um, in, in the scrotum there as you, as you gently pull in um, and you know that you've got the right thing and then you can magically, it's like I, it's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, isn't it? It just keeps coming, that um, huge testy, yeah. So, yes, um, so I encourage those of you who aren't doing this procedure to consider trying it or doing it, and I think it's um, it's good for everybody. It's good for the animal because it's um, less traumatic, I think, and less chance of them developing those post-operative complications, and it's good for the surgeon because um, um, I think it's a, an enjoyable, um, fun surgery mark is, is my <laughs> thought on it. Um, <laughs> Any final comments before we head off this week for our quick, sharp little um, episode? No, I just, like I said, I, I love that you're always on the lookout for um, these new variations on the way to do things. I'm a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a surgical conservative. I, I've been doing it this way and and it works for me and uh, and so I keep doing it that way until... Um, until you show me the the, uh, the the new revolutionary ways to do things, and um, yeah, appreciate your efforts. Well, I wish I invented it, but I did, Mark. Um, and with that, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.